Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It's not that I'm looking to be a broken record on the border. It's that without recognition of the problems that we have on a daily basis, we will allow ourselves to be consumed by the shiny objects that were shown. How many times are we told about a story and we are very clear that the purpose is to keep us from looking at the other story? You know, the one that we've been talking about, the one that we've been focused on. We see it time and again and again. But our problem is that we're very good at this. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Always a pleasure to be here in the seat. I took a couple of days. I was at a radio conference. I'll talk about that next week. But we see how they try and move goalposts, move conversations, move agendas, or something else magically becomes the story of the day as if on cue, you would think everybody shares an email. And and then all of a sudden we forget about these other things that are affecting us. These things are affecting us. The border is affecting us every day. The border, the econ- I mean, the economy is the top subject for the presidential. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the border is clearly... Number two, because the border has so much an effect on number one. You don't think the border is having an economic uh, effect on the city of New York or the city of Los Angeles, city of Chicago, city of San Francisco? Never mind the whole of Texas. Come on. Now we both know it's true. The border's the story. The border's the issue. The border is a focus that we cannot turn away from. And we work hard to make sure that we don't. I don't want to turn away from the border. I want to be paying attention because it is that important. And if we're not talking about just the the economics of the cost, how about the economics of the deaths regarding fentanyl? Griff Jenkins, Washington-based correspondent for Fox News, co-anchor of Fox News Live, has been covering the border for forever. He joins us right now to talk about, well, these latest border crossing numbers which are gigantic. Griff, good to talk to you. What are the numbers right now? It's a friggin' mess. Tony Katz, it's great to be with you, man. Happy Friday. And uh, listen, you know, you're so right. There's so much going on, excuse me, and yet no one wants to really deal with the problem. But we saw today, by the way, uh, the uh, members of the excuse me, New York delegation there, AOC and the like, turned up in New York outside that migrant shelter at the Roosevelt Hotel. And what happened? They were ridiculed, yelled at, booed, and they were chanting, close the border, because people are fed up with what's happening. And it's a, a great snapshot of the crisis that's happening in New York with his literally 100,000 migrants, which Texas sees, uh, you know, in a matter of a, a month. But you're seeing the what happens at the border going everywhere else in the country, and that is why it's becoming a national problem. And, you know, I got to tell you, I've been covering it for years, like you mentioned. And I remember when I was in the Darien Gap back a year and a half ago, we were seeing there maybe – 
800 to 1,000 migrants coming through that treacherous Darien Gap, and it is brutal. Let me tell you, we showed you the pictures, but it is awful, the worst of the worst of the jungle. But I literally yesterday, Tony, talked to my, my source that I keep down there, and it's, a, it's a, you know our Border Patrol and our DHS folks put people in those countries like Panama uh, to monitor the situation. And my source down there says they are seeing upwards of five thousand a day coming into the Darien Gap. Now, 5,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to realize those are the people from far, far away. The people from Africa, the Bill Malusian's been showing pictures this week in his coverage that are ending up on our border. They come through the Darien Gap, then they pick up all of the Central Americans, and then the Mexicans. That's how it turns into 7,000 or more a day on our border. And so it's, you know, we're able to look at the Darien Gap and say, okay, this is like weather forecasting. We see a hurricane out at sea, and it's likely going to hit the U.S., you know, uh, Florida or wherever it's going to hit. That's what we're able to see. And, you know, it has never been worse. The numbers are spiraling back out of control again because this administration simply has made it very clear to the rest of the world that if you come here, cross illegally, you're not going to be deported. It's going to be no, you're getting... unless you're literally a, a, a person that hits some sort of international database for being a convicted murderer, you're probably not going to even – Spend more than fifteen minutes of being processed, and when you now, what's interesting? It, let me let me stop you for a second, Griff. Talking yeah. to Griff Jenkins uh, of Fox News, this was the scene you mentioned, Representative Acacia Cortez. This was the scene at that press conference. Literally, people, New Yorkers, holding signs that say "Americans." First, you had the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, state, we will get destroyed by this. Are you saying that for Congress and, and, and for let if we want to even describe it as just the political left, as if somehow that's the only issue here, th this hasn't moved them to some level of action? No. And not only that, if you go back a couple of weeks, you'll remember, uh, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, Tony, when Governor Hochul of New York was like, you know, we, we were calling on the administration, meaning President Biden, although she wouldn't call him out by name, saying this is his problem. And also, we've got to do something at the federal level to offer him work permits. And my jaw hit the floor because here's how this works. There's a push factor and a pull factor. The push factor pushes migrants out of their country. Namely, they don't have jobs or they don't have good enough paying jobs. They see America as an opportunity. So when you put a headline out there, like the migrants, when they come illegally, are going to not only be able to stay, but they might get work permits and get in front of the line of an American, <clears throat> you can bet they're going to come hand over fist. And that's why those New Yorkers are so pissed off. Because they're looking at the, the situation in their city saying, wait a minute, these migrants are more important than the citizens of the Big Apple? No, full stop, absolutely not. And I think, by the way, I'm going to make a quick prediction with you. I think next week, as we go forward, I think you're going to see a real hold-the-line effort by the House Freedom Caucus on the, on the spending deal. And we might get a government shutdown, and it might be because the freedom, some Freedom Caucus guys want to tie 
a border bill to this continuing resolution saying, give us a border bill, shut the border down, give us border security, or else we're closing the government. I think you're going to see a stand. Whether or not it succeeds or not, I don't know, but I think you're going to see it. First, it's amazing that for all the things that I've been discussing, border shutdown is probably at the bottom of the list. I, I haven't really gotten to it over this over this past week or even even the week before. It's amazing how silent that conversation is. But I want to bring back something uh, that that we've been talking about with the border, which is you have a judge saying that this this buoy border that Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has put in the Rio Grande, that's unacceptable. And then you have the Biden administration itself trying to figure out a way to keep migrants, illegal immigrants, depending on how you want to see it, in Texas. No, you can't send a bus to D.C. to Vice President <laughs> Harris's doorstep. You can't send a bus to New York. You can't send a bus here. They have to stay in Texas. What is the update on those two maneuvers? Well, I mean, look, surprise, surprise, the administration didn't want to bring Remain in Mexico back because that was a Trump administration policy. They worked brilliantly because migrants don't want to sit on the Mexican side of the border in places like Matamoros and Juarez and Tijuana, they want to come to the U.S. And that's why it worked. But yet now they, of course, have this problem with upsetting people like Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul in New York. So they're like, let's just do our own version, which is remain in Texas. And it's not flying and it's not going to hold up. And that's why you're seeing Abbott uh, fight it uh, hand and fist. And, you know, on the border uh, buoys, I think, you know, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out because you've got this navigations, rivers and navigations act. They're basically doing an environmental uh, end run to try and get, get those shut down. But at the end of the day, no one, and I mean nobody, has had a bigger impact in trying to make the entire country understand how bad this problem is and what a national security threat this uh, this open border is than Governor Abbott. And so, you know, you got to give him credit, whether you like him or, or hate him. He has definitely put it on the front burner, and it's just yet another lawsuit that he's he's fighting. But at the end of the day, whether it is putting up the barbed wire or the buoys, he's doing everything he can to protect our southern border when very few others are, are, are even close to try and, and match the efforts he's putting into it. And make no mistake, you mentioned I put the numbers out. It's going to be over 230000 for August. You've got the two and a half uh, million that have essentially come since, since, uh, since Biden took over. But you've also got the one and a half plus million that are known gotaways. That's one and a half million people that we don't know who they are. And we just celebrated or, or uh, commemorated uh, the anniversary of 9 11. Uh, and we remember what happened, those of us old enough to remember what happened on that horrible day. And yet here we've got people hitting the terrorist uh, screening database, almost 150, my last count, that have come through that they know of. What about the ones we don't know about? Talking to Griff Jenkins of, of Fox News. Mm-hmm. And, and Griff, you, you uh, put out a story that is really directed towards uh, Indiana, towards um, Nebraska, Missouri, 
uh, towards Middle America. And that was the headline. Border residents fearful Middle Americans won't hear warning about immigration crisis ahead of Election Day. I, I don't think I could speak for everybody in the Midwest, but I can speak for some. And since we discuss this on a regular basis, we're very fully uh, aware and have made the argument repeatedly that these people are not coming to Texas. They're coming to America. That's what's happening here, and Texas does not deserve this abuse. Who? Uh, tell me about the polling that you did, and what is it that you're hearing people say? Well, you're, you're hearing <clears throat> that aside from, excuse me, by the way, uh, you're hearing aside from the inflation and the fact that people can't make ends meet and, and the economic reality that has always been the case since as long as I can remember of covering politics, the top priority, grab them by the pocketbook, their hearts and minds follow, Tony. But the border is consistently the second most important issue, not just to Texans or Arizonans or Californians, but to people in Indiana and all across the country because they're starting to understand it. And, you know, it's often... Uh, referenced that if you had an airliner of 300 people crash every day and everybody died, the country would be on edge. Well, you've got that with fentanyl. And the fentanyl is coming because we have an open border. And so it's not just a national security threat of a terrorist coming through. You've got the fentanyl that is ravaging our country in every corner, in every state, And then you've got the situation like you've got in New York, where the migrant uh, uh, crisis is draining resources and taking away from quality of life and services of those taxpaying citizens to live in those municipalities. And so, you know, this is no matter how much the Biden administration and uh, more importantly, the Biden campaign doesn't want this to be an issue. This is an issue that is front and center for voters in every state. Griff Jenkins, Fox News Channel, a co-anchor of Fox News Live. Uh, always appreciate when you take the time and have the updates. Griff Jenkins, all the best. Thank you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Joe Biden making comments about the United Auto Workers uh, strike. And, of course, his comments are what you'd expect from a progressive president. I say a few words about the contract negotiations between the United Auto Workers and the big three auto companies. You know, I've been in touch with both parties over since this began over the last few weeks and over the last the past decade. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits including the last few years because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of UAW workers. But those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. As I said, exactly what you would expect. Did I say hello, Tony Katz? Tony Katz today, find everything at TonyKatz.com. Exactly what you would expect from uh, Joe Biden. And yes, it makes sense that he would make uh, a, a, a statement, right? It makes sense that he would be in on this. But why wasn't he more front and center about this before we got to the point where the UAW was taking 13,000 people off of the production lines? Remember, the, the strike is kind of fascinating because first, it's against all three. They didn't just pick one. Second, instead of the entire 146,000 members, if you will, going on strike, 
13,000 from three different plants in three different states, Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri. And if they don't get what they want with 36% pay increases, COLA, cost of living adjustments, more benefits for retirees, well, then they'll add more and more people to the uh, to, to the roles of those on strike. It's a really interesting approach. The uh, people over there, I think it's GM and Stellantis, have made offers. Ford and GM offered 20% pay increases. Stellantis offered 17.5% uh, in- increase. I think it's going to end at like 30%. I think there's going to be a big, big number. But it's going to be about those retirement benefits. I think that's where all of this hinges. The cost of living increases is right out as far as I'm concerned. So where was Joe Biden? Where was uh, Pete Buttigieg before it got to this moment? Right? A, 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 A speech like this, I would expect from Biden. No one wants a strike. Say it again. No one wants a strike. But I respect the workers' right to use their options under the collective bargaining system. And I understand the workers' frustration. Over generations, auto workers sacrificed so much to keep the industry alive and strong, especially through the economic crisis and the pandemic. Workers deserve a fair share of the benefits they help create for an enterprise. I do appreciate that the parties have been working around the clock. And when I first called them at the very first day of the negotiations, I said, please stay at the table as long as you can to try to work this out. And they've been around the clock and the companies have made some significant offers. But I believe they should go further to ensure record corporate profits mean record contracts for the UAW. Let me say that again. So we, we, we understand that it's, it's record profits, this profits, that profits, the, everything that you would expect from a progressive president played them. But maybe part of the problem is what it is people like Joe Biden actually think the strike should bring about. Just as the Treasury Department has released a report pointing out that the most comprehensive report ever dealing with how unions are good for both union workers and non-union workers to and the overall economy. Unions raise workers' wages, they said, incomes, increase home ownership, increase retirement savings, increase access to critical benefits like sick leave and child care, and reduce inequality, all of which strengthen our economy for all workers. That's because unions, unions raise standards across the workplaces and entire industries, pushing up. Just so we're clear, I think that's an argument you could have made. Now, unions ensure that people like Joe Biden get a tremendous number of campaign contributions. But that's not why I bring this up. Wages and strengthening benefits for everyone. That's why strong unions are critical to a growing economy and growing from the middle out, the bottom up, not the top down. That's especially true as we transition to a clean energy future, which we're in the process of doing. I believe that transition should be fair and a win-win, for, excuse me, for auto workers and auto companies. It's all about the green. Now, I am not against electric vehicles. I've never been against uh, electric uh, vehicles. I've actually just brought on a sponsor that does uh, electric vehicles. You'll be hearing it. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm, all capitalists, you want to make an electric vehicle? That's what people have out there uh, or, or, or want to buy? Go ahead. But it, it's, it's, it's been a hard, hard business. And so some people have turned to me to help uh, kind, kind of grow that. I got no problem with that. You want an electric vehicle, there are opportunities out there. You want to force companies only to make one kind of vehicle, that I oppose. That's a mistake. 
And yet there's Joe Biden in the middle of a conversation about unions to tell you about green, which tells you about where his head is at. And his head is not at what's best for America or best for these workers. It's for what is ideological. I mean, he's telling you. He's showing you what he's all about. My gosh, when do you start believing him? Let me say that I do not know when this strike ends. Uh, We're going to just keep on watching and see where the deal goes. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. We've climbed out of our great economic crisis. It's beginning to work for working people. I don't know who those working people are that everything's supposed to be working for, but according to President Biden, it's fine. Everything's fine. He's just sipping his iced tea as the meme goes. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I was gone for a couple days, and as I'm gone, we get some PPI numbers, we get some CPI numbers, and it's like, oh, Maybe things aren't okay. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Find him on the Twitter Xbox at drmattwill, W-I-L-L, drmattwill.com. I was at a radio conference in Nashville, and only the only thing that's happening is this tweet stream. No, I'm sorry, this text stream that I'm getting from Dr. Will about PPI and core inflation and what's going on and how these numbers don't look pretty Walk me through it. Let's start with the PPI, which is about the producer price index. This is what the manufacturers are, their costs are. What did the numbers tell you? Tony, the numbers came out and they were 0.7% last month. What does that mean? Times 12, 8.4% inflation for manufacturers last month. 8.4%. That's the highest we've seen, Tony, since the middle of last year. This is increasingly a problem. The president says inflation's under control. Tony, 8.4%. I don't think that's under control. I don't care how radically left you may be in this world. You can't tell me that 8.4% inflation is valid. Talk that to is me. a problem, and it's leading into worse problems. Talk to me how you get to the 8.4% number, because if I take a look at the 0.7, which is higher than July's 0.4, higher than June's negative 0.1, May's negative 0.3, which means for the past three months, we have had an increase in producer price index, but I don't know how you get to that 8.4% number. Well, this is something that I talk about every time we mention this, Tony. Take 0.7, which is the one month figure, and multiply by 12. That's the annualized figure. So in this month of August, you had an 8.4 annualized uh, increase in inflation. Tony, it's kind of like if you got a, you know, if you got a 1% pay raise this month, but then you got a 1% every month, that'd be 12. So you just take this one month and multiply by 12. I think that's the real number. The price is going up this month is what matters, Tony. What happened five months ago doesn't matter as much. This month it went up on an annualized rate of 8.4%. But if I take a look 
at how the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, views the number, the change in final demand from 12 months ago unadjusted is 1.6, and the change in final demand, less food, energy, and trade, is 3.0. These are the numbers that get played with by the White House and certainly by the media, but no matter how you look at these, the, the, the trend over the last three months is up, up, up. But it's worse than it's worse than that, Tony. Let, let's forget about how the White House likes to spin this. They released the White House released two days ago that the real median household income, your household, Tony, last year, you took home one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars less. You got a pay cut last year of one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars that we have not seen that since 1981, Tony, that a household took home less money. Let's see how they spin that. That's less money in your pocket. Well, they spin that by not talking about it. That's quite obvious. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, you do focus on this PPI number because what the manufacturers, what it's costing them, of course, those costs move over to the consumer. But you also take a look at warehousing. You take a look at what the the uh, inventory levels are. And as we have discussed and as we have seen, retailers are already saying, don't expect too much this holiday season. What is the latest report from uh, that you've seen regarding inventory levels? Yeah, Tony, the Institute of Supply Management, I always want to look at this because they are the best real-time indicator. And what they show us is the backlog of orders. That means, you know, the, the retail stores, your, your, you know, your places you go to buy your Christmas presents and Hanukkah presents, they're down. They're actually contracting. They're reducing their orders. They're pulling back. On top of that, Tony, their inventories are shrinking. This is not a good combination. So inventories are shrinking and they're ordering less. That does not tell me that they're optimistic. They tell us they are. Remember the other day we spoke and, oh, Apple's optimistic. It's going to be the great, greatest year ever. Well, their behavior doesn't show that. It contradicts their words. Let's move it over to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, where I take a look at all items, August of 2023, up 0.6. This is a trend now. March, April, May, June, July, it has gone. It has gone from these point uh, ones, a point four, a point one in May to point two, point two, point six. The unadjusted being three point seven. All items being uh, considered less food and energy, which they decide is volatile, and somehow we shouldn't count that is four point three. Tell me what these numbers mean. Well, again, Tony, I like to do the you know get out your calculator, people, and multiply point six times twelve. That gives us 7.2%. So we are back to the same inflation that we had in the worst part of the Bidenomics inflation uh, story. So Bidenomics has given us this last month the highest level inflation we saw since the worst part of this Bidenomics inflation push. So that makes me concerned. And like you said, Tony, let's pull out the food. Because, you know, is food really something you need? Let's not look at that number. It's still high, Tony. It's still at 3.6%. Yeah, 3.6%, Tony, annualized. That is too much. So you take the number, you multiply it by 12. That's why Dr. Will says 3.6%, even though the unadjusted 12-month ending in August of 2023 is 4.3. That's less the food and and the energy. Except on the energy front, uh, 
we have canceled leases on gas and oil at the same time OPEC has said they're not going to uh, be pumping more and putting out more. How come the markets haven't lost their mind over this one-two punch? I think they have, Tony. We are we are now approaching overnight. We're over ninety dollars a barrel for oil. We may head towards a hundred. The markets have lost their mind from an oil standpoint, you know. And even though cringe Jean Pierre likes to talk about the fact that the president is doing everything he can to reduce energy prices, does that include the non the canceling of leases? to extract oil in Alaska? I think she's lying to us again, Tony. And the market is reacting. It is reacting because the price of oil is going up. Yeah, uh, as we're speaking right now, the West Texas intermediate price is eighty nine thirty six a barrel. The Brent crude price is ninety two eighty, and we were warning about this two weeks ago that the, the the sirens are going off and that oil is going to go up. This is heading up as we head into winter. So when you take a look at energy, I thought this was a very deceiving number, and that uh, fuel oil was down, uh, you know, fourteen point eight. Uh, that's uh, the 12 month adjusted, but you take a look at July to August from three three percent to nine point one percent in August. Um, this is uh, this doesn't seem to me like something that bodes well for November, December, January, and February. Oh, Tony, it it, it bodes terribly. Because what if we happen to accidentally have a colder winter? Remember last year we had a norm, uh, warmer than normal winter. Europe got lucky. What if we have a colder than normal or just a normal winter, Tony? People are starting to stockpile now, driving prices up. What happens if we have cold? It's going to be bad. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Something else Biden said, President Biden said, that I just wanted to get your quick comment on was how we have uh, climbed out of this uh, great economic crisis and that we have replaced all the jobs that we lost during COVID. You want to fact check that statement for me? <laughs> he, he, he's off by only 6 million jobs, Tony. It's, Tony, the economy grows. We have more people. I know this will be a shock to the president, but we have more people coming into the country. Shh, don't, don't, don't tell Harris that we have this happening on the southern border. So we need more jobs, Tony. We always grow jobs. And at this moment in time, we have gotten back to the – we're at the level we were three years ago. I'm sorry, four years ago, Tony. We're back to that. But we should have six million more at this moment, and we don't. So he, it is mis misinformation to say that we're at, in a good place on jobs. We're six million short. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Now, there's something else that, that Joe Biden said that is just, um, well, all sorts of nuts, all sorts of completely and totally surreal and uh, people have been uh, talking about this. You saw it on your social media feeds. It was this right here. We not only recovered all the jobs we lost during the pandemic, we've added millions more. We've seen record lows in unemployment, particularly, and I've focused on this my whole career, particularly for African-Americans and Hispanic workers and veterans. You know, the workers without high school diplomas, the lowest unemployment rate in 70 years for women Did- now. Did he just say that black people and Hispanic people don't have high school diplomas? 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm just here to say that if Trump, if DeSantis, if any Republican said that, the people at MSNBC would, they, there would be, they would be selling pitchforks to go after them, to their audience to go after uh, those Republicans. Biden says it, it's just no big deal. Just walk on by. It's the weirdest, weirdest thing in the world. The bigotry from this man is stunning. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. I was actually amazed that Hunter Biden got indicted on the gun charges. I, I am. I am. I'm shocked by it. I had no faith in special counsel David Weiss, and, and I'm certainly never a conspiratorial cat, uh, but without question, I, I am somebody who would question seriously whether or not this administration interferes with any level of going after someone named Biden or anybody else that they like. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The impeachment inquiry is happening and it's going on and 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 I, I, I was talking about the Hunter Biden stuff and I was talking about the impeachment inquiry with Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd uh, District, uh, formerly headed up the Republican Study uh, Committee. He's running for Senate in the state of Indiana. And I, I, I asked him, and I've got the full interview up wherever you get the podcast, you'll be able to get the full interview. But I, I did ask uh, Congressman Banks where he was regarding the impeachment inquiry. And his answer was, bring on the impeachment, forget just the inquiry. Yeah, I, for the past three months, I've been calling for impeachment. I'm I'm ready to to vote. Uh, put put the impeachment vote on the floor uh, today, and I'll vote for it. Uh, however, Tony, the, there aren't 217 Republicans who are on the same page that I am, that, who believe that Joe Biden is the most corrupt president in American history, that we should impeach him. So that that's why Speaker McCarthy earlier this week, I, I believe on um, Monday or Tuesday, announced formally that we will begin the impeachment inquiry process. He instructed three committees of jurisdiction, the Oversight Committee, led by James Comer of Kentucky. The, the key committee in all of this is the Judiciary Committee, led by Jim Jordan of Ohio. And then also the Ways and Means Committee with, with tax jurisdiction, led by Jason Smith of Missouri. And that's important because all of the evidence that we already have shows that the, the corruption led by Hunter Biden, the other members of the Biden family, the money that Joe Biden was receiving from uh, those uh, corrupt deals with foreign countries like China, Russia, you, uh, uh, oligarchs and uh, pro-Russian oligarchs in Ukraine and other places, and then funneling that money to Joe Biden. We know that Hunter Biden paid to renovate Joe Biden's house, and we know where the money came from in, Joe, in Hunter Biden's account to do that. So that, but, but Tony, let me make something very clear. The impeachment inquiry is half about the corruption of Joe Biden, which we know, which we know. Uh, is the case, but really the other half of impeachment inquiry is how the current administration, the, the Department of Justice, has covered it up. Uh, why, why they refuse to arrest Hunter Biden on on the tax uh, evasion charges and and uh, some of the some of the the issues related uh, to to what's happened currently in this current administration to cover up uh, some of these situations too. So there, there that, are. Th- 
that's the second half of it that's very that's very important that can't be lost in this there are those who will tell you that you know you have the justice department now bringing the indictment regarding gun charges uh, against hunter biden lying on form 4473 uh and and a series of charges and i am actually surprised i didn't think the doj would get it done i didn't think they would make it happen there are some who want to go down the road of this is to try and keep everybody from talking about Hunter Biden as uh, a foreign agent, Hunter Biden representing other companies and not being registered, right? Farah uh, uh, applications, or I should say, um, uh, not engaging those properly, those regulations, the word I was looking for. You think this is all cover from the Department of Justice? Well, remember, I mean, I'm glad that Hunter Biden was arrested for uh, an obvious crime that he committed. I mean, he, he, he threw a gun in a dumpster and the Secret Service was called to come and cover it up. I mean, there, there are lots of questions about that that I hope come to light uh, as, after, after the arrest. But the, the bigger issues here, Tony, and never, never forget it, when, when David Weiss, the special prosecutor, uncovered the evidence of tax fraud and, and the DOJ refused to arrest Hunter Biden for it. The, the tax fraud charges are directly related and will lead the the paper trail, the, the 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 bank account records, will lead directly to the big guy, Joe Joe Biden, skimming ten percent off the top, and what Hunter Biden did to funnel that money to his dad when he sold off access to his father as vice president and, and probably senator for years before that. The, the ty- those types of corrupt activities. Why didn't the DOJ arrest? Hunter Biden for the tax fraud charges where there's where there's clear uh, evidence that that occurred. I think it's because I, I think this is what the impeachment inquiry will uncover. The DOJ refused to do that because it leads to a much larger question and leads directly to the guy in the White House. Well, we're going to find out because this is going down. The impeachment inquiry is here. And again, I'll tell you, good, good. This is important. Let us get nothing but the information. Then we can decide what to do with it. I just a constant reminder: impeachment is political, not legal. And if there's anybody who understands this, it's the Democratic Party, for sure. So we've got impeachment to look for, or impeachment inquiry. The UAW strike that started thirteen thousand members going on strike. It's a weird, staggered approach that they're taking. Really interesting. And will this actually be more effective? in getting the big three to concede to a 36% pay increase, which is not happening. It's not going to be a 36% pay increase. But these, these, man, these stories are going to be all over the weekend. It'll be all into next week. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Monday, everyone. Shana Catch you then.